social distancing, and that's great. That's needed. They may be putting their trust in wearing a mask or heeding to government orders, but all of those things will fail in the end. The only thing that will never fail is Jesus. His love never fails. And tonight I pray that you feel his love, that you feel his arms just wrapping around you, embracing you tonight. Oh, he has a great love for you tonight. During this time, the enemy would like nothing better than for you to feel alone, for you to feel defeated, downcast. Oh, but tonight his love is toward you and it's reaching out. It's pouring over you and all you've got to do is receive it. Oh, fear can't stand in love. Worry, doubt, anxiety, it has to leave when love comes in the room. And tonight, I know his Holy Spirit is here, but I know it's there because you're there and he abides in you. And if you've made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, oh, there's a heavenly host with you right now in your living room or your bedroom or your car, wherever you may be tuning in. He's with you. His word is true. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You know, this virus is hitting home now. We're beginning to, to, to hear of people that have it that we know. And it, it can get scary. And that's okay. Those are real emotions. But we take it to him. We take every emotion that we have to him. And he'll take it. Oh, and he'll give us back peace that passes understanding, joy, rest, hope. He'll give us back something greater than we could ever give him. That's how much he loves us tonight. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for being in this house for being with those that are tuning in, Lord. And I pray that tonight, God, that your anointed word go forth, Lord, that it sink deep into our hearts, Lord, to produce good fruit for your kingdom and your glory. And we ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. And everybody says amen and amen. Thank you, singers and musicians. I appreciate all you do for us. During these times, uh, I told Hope, when she texted with the song list, she said, is that too much? I said, no, I need worship. <laughs> I need this. I enjoy this. And I'm going to tell you, if you feel fear creeping into your heart, anxiety, you put on some anointed music, and it has to leave. It can't stay. Uh, when you begin to praise and worship the Lord, we don't praise him for what's going on, but we praise him because we know it's not going to last. He's going to lead us out. Amen. So tonight, it's good to be back with you. Uh, we are going to be continuing on in Mark chapter 9. And uh, we're going to be in verses 9 through 13. So hopefully you have your word there with you. Uh, if not, uh, I think we've got it worked out to where the scriptures, okay, will appear on the screen. So you can read along. Um, but I encourage you, get your word out. Don't become lazy uh, during this time of doing church at home because that can happen. But I'm going to tell you some of the most powerful church services that I've ever been in has been church at my house. And uh, if he'll do it for us, he'll do it for you. So you be faithful. Uh, get your word out. Take notes. And, uh, and just 
listen for the voice of the Lord uh, because he's speaking. And he's actually going to speak in these verses because his word is his voice. Amen? So let's go ahead and start reading Mark 9, verses 9 through 13. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And they kept, and they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean. And they asked him, saying, Why say the scribes that Elijah must first come? And he answered and told them, Elijah verily comes first and restores all things, and how it is written of the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be set at naught. But I say unto you that Elijah is indeed come, and they have done unto him whatsoever they listed, as it is written of him. Now, I want to recap because it's been two weeks. Uh, last week, the Holy Spirit took over the service, and we didn't get to get into it. So it's been two weeks, so I want to recap what Peter, James, and John had just encountered uh, in the previous eight verses of chapter 9. For a moment, these three disciples were allowed to see the glory of Almighty God. The Lord opened himself up. He revealed himself in such a way that despite his outward appearance, all that Peter, James, and John had ever known, now he was revealing himself, which he had always been, as God. You know, we know that he was 100% man, but he was 100% God. He never laid down his deity. He never did, not for once. But on that mountain in the transfiguration, for a moment he opened himself up and these three saw and heard a conversation between Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And it wasn't just any conversation. If you remember from two weeks ago, they discussed the cross. The cross in which just a few short days Jesus would bear, Jesus would be crucified. Again, reaffirming the truth that our topic of sermons, our topic of conversations, uh, should always revolve around the cross of Jesus Christ. If it was that important for the Lord God Almighty and all of his infinite wisdom that during the transfiguration to bring back Moses and Elijah to talk to Jesus about the cross, then it should be important for you and I to talk about the cross. Because the cross and the cross alone is where our victory lies. And I'm not talking about the wooden beams. I'm talking about what was accomplished there. Everything was fulfilled when Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross. And here tonight, they're on their way down the mountain. And I referred to this last week during our time of praise and worship. And uh, I said that at first, that phrase, down the mountain, kind of saddened my heart. Thinking of all the mountaintop experiences that I've had, I know that you've had mountaintop experiences with the Lord, and uh, all too often when you come down the mountain, you feel a, a loss, you feel uh, a struggle, you feel like, oh, well, it's just not as good now. It was so good up on the mountain. But the Holy Spirit reminded me, he doesn't stay on the mountain. He doesn't stay on the mountaintop. See, that's what Peter wanted to do, if you'll remember. He wanted to make a tabernacle, to keep Jesus there, to make a tabernacle for Moses and one for Elijah. But Jesus said, no, I'm not staying up here. I'm going with them. 
Jesus goes down the mountain with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And see, going down the mountain is kind of that process of when the rubber meets the road, so to speak. You see, when we get down the mountain, that's when we should be putting into practice what we learned on the mountaintop. See, a lot of times we think, oh, well, it was only good here. It can't be good down there. No, the Lord allowed it to be good here so it could be good here, right? He doesn't, he doesn't reveal himself to us. He doesn't uh, work miracles in our lives. He doesn't give us revelation of his word for nothing. He does it so that we can take it wherever we go. We can apply it to our lives, and that's the part that a lot of believers miss. They forget that part. They, they kind of bypass it. They, I, I told a story um, last year, I believe it was, and uh, talking about a man, he likes kids in abstract. He just doesn't like it in the concrete because uh, the kids were playing in his concrete. And I'm not going to go into the whole story because I don't have time to do that. But meaning we like to hear good things that make us feel good, that kind of uh, give us goosebumps. We like to be in those services where we feel the power of the Lord. But then when we leave those services, we kind of leave it all behind us. We forget, oh, the Lord did that for a reason. He did it for a purpose, to empower us to now go take it to those outside of the four walls, to apply it to our everyday lives, to change us from glory to glory. That's what it's talking about. It's not just for a show. It's not just for a goosebump. It's to do something real in our lives to change us from glory to glory. And if you look back at verse 8 of chapter 9, again, this reaffirms. It says, And suddenly, when they looked round about, they saw no man anymore save Jesus, only with themselves. See, we don't need all of the cool preachers and uh, wonderful worship teams, as, as great and glorious as that is, they're only men or women. All we need is Jesus. He's all we need. See, and I, I think now that's a very uh, real thing that, that, that believers are beginning to realize and grab, or I pray that you are. Maybe we can't come together at the church. Now, I'm not saying I'll, I, I, I want it to come back. I want to be able to gather with you. But he's all you need. You don't need me. You don't need Jason. You've got Jesus. And he's all you need. And you better be holding on to him. Because see how fast things can change. Things can be taken away from us. But he can never be taken away. He can never be stripped away from us. Verse 9, we're told that as they descended from the mountain, they received a command. He charged them. Jesus charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. You see, spiritual things cannot be explained solely by natural means. How could they possibly describe what they had just witnessed on the mountain and somebody really believe in them, right? See, Paul clearly states that in 1 Corinthians 2.14. It says, But the natural man received not the things of the Spirit of God, who is not born again. For they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. He goes on to say uh, in 1 Corinthians 2.10, But God has revealed them unto us by his 
spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. My commentary notes say the Holy Spirit is the only one amply qualified to reveal God because he is God. And he is the member of the Godhead who deals directly with man. He's the only one who can do it. And you have to realize that at this point in time, the Holy Spirit had not yet come to abide permanently in the hearts and the lives of the redeemed. Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet. So at times the Holy Spirit would be, uh, come upon people, but it wasn't able to abide in them. So the Lord knew it would be best for the disciples to wait until then before they attempted to explain what they had witnessed so that then understanding would come. John 14, 17 tells us, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. That scripture right there is such a comforting scripture that the Spirit of God dwells in me, dwells in whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord. The phrase, till the Son of Man were risen from the dead, means that all things would then begin to fall into place. Once Jesus died on Calvary's cross, was crucified, and then rose again three days later, Commentary says they had truly seen much, but they had understood little. They couldn't understand it. They couldn't wrap their minds around it. Why? Because they didn't have the Holy Spirit to give them wisdom and understanding. The cross, the resurrection, the ascension, and the day of Pentecost, when they would all be baptized with the Holy Spirit, would then bring everything in to proper focus. I mean, think about you when maybe you weren't, um, maybe you didn't grow up in church. I mean, you first, you hadn't given your heart to the Lord, but you visited a church, and things just didn't make sense to you, right? You couldn't figure things out, but that day you said yes to Jesus. Oh, wow, it was a glorious day, and things began to make sense. Things began to click. You started connecting the dots, realizing, oh, wow, this does make sense. He does have a, a plan and a purpose for my life. So, and again, that's why Jesus said just hours before his crucifixion in John 16, 12, and 13, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot, cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself. That's how you know if somebody is truly speaking, being led by the Holy Spirit. Because they're not going to be puffing themselves up. They're not going to be saying, oh, well, let's come to me for wisdom. Come to me for advice. No, but whosoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. See, the Holy Spirit always speaks of the Father. Testifies of the Father. No one else. Jesus always spoke what he heard from the Father never lifting himself up, never elevating himself, always, my father, my father's will. This is what, how my father would do it. That's how we should be. We're not blowing up lakeside. We're saying, follow Jesus. You want to come here? Great. We want you here. But don't put your trust in a church name 
or who's standing behind the pulpit. Put your trust, put your hope in Jesus. He's the only one to do it. See, church, be encouraged tonight. Jesus is coming. He's so to come. He's yet to come. The Lord of glory who will inherit a universal and everlasting kingdom. The disciples had to understand that he must first suffer and die on Calvary's cross. And only then would he rise from the dead and be glorified. They were a little confused about all of this. Again, they, they couldn't wrap their minds around it, even though they had seen all these things. All of the miracles, all of the prophecies that were fulfilled from the Old Testament, but yet they still could not connect the dots and wrap their minds around it. Verse 10 reads, And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another, what the rising from the dead should mean. So the disciples did two things. Number one, they kept the matter to themselves, just as Jesus had commanded them, which uh, is kind of in contrast because as we've been studying the book of Mark, a lot of times Jesus would say, don't tell anybody what I've done. And what would they do? Go and tell everybody, right? They wouldn't listen. But these time, this time, these three kept their mouths shut. They listened. They obeyed. And number two, they kept questioning each other about what the rising from the dead meant. They still didn't understand the purpose and reason for his coming to this world, which was solely to redeem mankind, meaning that he would have to go to the cross. See, do we truly get that Jesus came to redeem us? Not just to make us happy, not just to make life easy, not just to give us what we want, but he came to redeem us. See, a lot of times we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. But when we realize that we were wretched and undone, completely lost without him, that's why he came, to redeem us. We had to have a savior, and he was the only one who could do it. And he did. He did it. He died on Calvary's cross to redeem you and I, to redeem whosoever would call upon his name. You see, the cross was always his destination. He never lost sight of that. He never lost focus. He always knew he came to die on the cross. So the, the phrase questioning one with another, what the rising of the dead should mean, shows two problems. The first problem is the manifestation of the glory of God they had experienced was so startling to them, so unreal, so unexplainable that uh, implies that they probably discussed it very little amongst themselves. Why? Because they were probably scared to death at what they saw. They didn't understand it at all. I mean, can you imagine going up on a mountain? seeing Moses and Elijah and Jesus here. I mean, we can't fathom that, but they experienced it. They witnessed it. They did, however, um, discuss intently the statement that Jesus made about him dying and rising from the dead. Despite his plain statements, they still did not understand what he was talking about. See, the power he manifested in healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, even raising the dead was within itself absolutely astounding to them, and they could not begin to see how anyone could take his life. 
you understand what I'm saying? They saw him as this all-powerful, all-conquering king, their Messiah, which he was. But they failed to realize what he must do in order that, for that to apply to the entirety of the world. See, all they had in their mind was the restoring of Israel. Oh, he's great. He's going to be our king. He's going to uh, conquer Rome and restore Israel. This is going to be great. So in their reasoning, how can you take the life of one who can walk on water, who can speak the word and a mighty storm instantly subsides, and who can even raise the dead? In their minds, they cannot put it all together. Jesus is the Messiah. Of that, they're sure. But while that was true, the opposition of the Pharisees and Sadducees was still severe. They were still on them, hot and heavy, right? Uh, they were still questioning everything that Jesus would do. But yet they saw Jesus not at one time shrink back, not operate in full power. He did what he came to do. And we've said it over and over again. His true mission was so much greater than bringing back glory to Israel. He had rather come to break the terrible grip that Satan had, right, on humanity. A grip so severe, in fact, that man within himself could not break it. They looked at him as a king and not a sacrifice. And if you don't get anything else, I want you to realize that. Yes, he was a king, a conquering king. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But most importantly, he was the perfect sacrifice. He was the sacrifice that was needed. The only one that would do. He was the perfect sacrifice. In truth, he was a king and more than the king. He was the sacrifice. They had heard Elijah and Moses speak with Jesus concerning his coming death. And now they hear Jesus speak of his rising from the dead. And it should have been encouragement to them, right? Which in reality, that's what Christ intended it to be. However, they did not understand. Verse 11 of chapter 9 says, And they asked him, saying, Why say the scribes that Elijah must come first? Well, see, in Malachi 4, verses 4 through 6, and I'm going to turn there because I want to read uh, these notes here. It says, Remember you the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. See, remember you the law of Moses, my servant, addressed the last command in the Old Testament for Malachi would be the last prophet before John the Baptist. Now, this is important. You've got to stay with me. A time frame of some 400 plus years when Christ came, the law of Moses would be abolished and annulled on the cross. Consequently, the remembering of the law of Moses with its statutes and judgments was a requirement for the period before Christ, but does not apply to the time of the new covenant. Of course, that which applied to moral particulars was covered over, carried over into the New Testament and is certainly to be remembered and adhered to. However, the moral law is kept perfectly when one places one's faith entirely in Christ and what he did for us at the cross. Verse 5, 
Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. This is what they were referring to. They said Elijah has to come first. But we know John the Baptist came with the spirit of Elijah. They just got their times and dates mixed up. The Pharisees and Sadducees thought they had it nailed down. They knew. You know those people who say, well, I can tell you when Jesus is coming back. In fact, we were in line uh, to go into the Trump rally, and there was a lady handing out um, tracts, I guess it was, kind of a newsletter. And the first words, the first sentence was, I know the date and time that the Lord is going to return. He's revealed it to me. And I got tickled because John Waldrop, one of the youth, said, we need to burn this. This is false doctrine. And I was like, what are you talking about? He said, read the first line. So that was encouraging that. He knew that because no man knows the hour. But the Pharisees and Sadducees were so headstrong, and they thought they had this, and this is going to prove that. Jesus, you're not who you say you are because Elijah has to come first. And so Jesus has to do a lot of explaining and and clears this up. Elijah did come first. The spirit of Elijah came in John the Baptist. That's what we're told. Verse 6 says, And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. The first phrase proclaims Elijah and Enoch beginning the process in the latter half of the Great Tribulation. See, Elijah will come again. It's going to go on. We're going to get to that in verse 12 and 13. He will come again. Elijah and Enoch will be the two witnesses during the times of tribulation. So not one time did Jesus mess up or or, uh, contradict the word. He fulfilled it completely, totally. He didn't leave anything out. Uh, But the Pharisees and Sadducees were just always looking for a a moment to jump on somebody and say, I got you. Now, who who do you say you are? And his response would have always been, I'm the Messiah. (laughs) I'm Jesus, the Son of God. Always, always. So the scribes, just like the disciples, have the time element confused. They did not distinguish the first coming of Christ in the flesh from the second advent. And I know sometimes when we hear these phrases and this terminology, it's very easy to kind of zone out, but these are important things that you need to know, that you need to to be able to connect these dots on your own. Um, The second advent of judgment, which is yet to come. That's not happened yet, okay? That's what we're still talking about. So it says, and they asked him, why did the scribes say Elijah must come first? And again, that was a logical question um, in light of the scripture and their experience on the mountain. But Jesus responds in verse 12 with a surprising connection. He says, and he answered and told them, Elijah verily comes first and restores all things. And how it is written of the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be set at naught. Wow, they didn't see that coming. They didn't expect Jesus, again, to say that, trying to to trap him and and get him messed up. But the same divine scriptures that predicted the coming of Elijah prior to the day of the Lord also predicted a suffering Messiah. See, they got all caught up. See, that's how um, 
false teachings, false doctrine comes in because a certain denomination or a certain, really their cult, when it becomes to this extreme, when they focus in on one little phrase, and that's what the, the uh, Pharisees and Sadducees had done, and then they totally throw out everything else. They were blinded to the fact that the scriptures plainly said that the Messiah would suffer. But all they see is this conquering king. Oh, forget about the suffering. Again, I've said it time and time again during this teaching on Mark. Man always attempts to bypass the cross. You can never bypass the cross and get to Jesus. You can never do it. Man will come up with so many good ideas and theories and, and all of these things. New carts, that's what it is. But you won't get to Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. You can never bypass the cross and end up with Jesus. It will not work. And yet again, that's what we see taking place here in this scripture. Elijah, again, has come in the person of John the Baptist. We're told that. Further, they did what pleased uh, them with him. He suffered a ruthless death at the hands of evil men. And we went over this. We went through this teaching. And you can go back. I encourage you to go back to the beginning when we started, Mark, several months ago. I don't know exactly when it was. But they rejected his message. Repent. Right? If there is a message that needs to be heard today, April 1st, it's repent. For the kingdom of God draweth nigh. Repent. That was his message, and they killed him. And they would do the same with Jesus. But John fulfilled the assignment given to him by God, and so would our Lord. He fulfilled it when he died on Calvary's cross. I agree with John Grasmick that John the Baptist fulfilled the Elijah prophecy that I just read to you in Malachi 4, 5 and 6 at Christ's first advent. Malachi's prophecy indicated that Elijah himself or the spirit of Elijah, which that's what we believe would come uh, like John the Baptist, and he will also appear just before Christ's second advent which you and I will be coming back with him. Praise the Lord. Amen. I'm looking forward to that. So both God's prophet and God's son would experience a very similar fate, rejection and execution. However, God faithfully saw them through their suffering and greatest hours of trial. And I just want to pause there for a minute because we know God's word is true. And his word says that he's no respecter of persons. He saw John and Jesus through their greatest hours, their greatest trials. So what makes us think that the Lord won't do the same for us? You know, to some, what we're going through right now just seems like horrible. I mean, it's just, and it is, my heart breaks as I see the, the commercials and the all of these uh, shows that are coming on highlighting the doctors and the nurses and the, all of the first responders, and, and they're just at their wit's end. They are broken people, and it breaks my heart. And then the thought of so many people dying alone. 
And when we focus on that and, and that's all we're watching, that's all we're allowing in our eyes and our ears, it becomes heavy. Oh, it breaks our hearts, and it should. But if God saw them through their darkest days, their darkest trials, you can trust that he's going to see us through too. He's going to see us through. And we've just got to be faithful to take it to him. I encourage several people this week as I receive phone calls of, of fear and anxiety and worry creeping into people's lives. And those are real things. I said, turn your TV off. Because most I could hear the news playing in the background on the other end of the phone. I said, first thing I need you to do right now, go turn your TV off. And you need to open the word. You need to get the word in you. You need to turn on some anointed music because all that's doing is feeding fear, feeding uh, all the wrong things. And you need to strengthen the spirit man. And the only way that's going to be strengthened, the only way that's going to be lifted up is feeding it the word of Almighty God. I got a call today. Pastor Summer, we did what you said. We turned the news off. And we've had a much better day. We were even able to sleep last night. I said, praise the Lord. It's true. It's not just something that we come up with, but it's true. We see it over and over again in the Word. Spirit of heaviness would come in, begin to praise the Lord, and it's lifted. His Word is true. But God will see us through this. He will. He's faithful. He's just. And I believe that He's allowing this to happen as believers, everything that comes into our lives, he either causes or he allows. And this is coming to our life in a very real way, abruptly. But I choose to believe that he's leading and guiding us through this, and he's going to use it for his glory. My benefit, his glory. Why? Because he's waking up the church. And in my heart of hearts, I believe that if we will, as a church, do what the Word tells us to do, in 2 Chronicles 7.14, and this has been the scripture that so many have quoted over and over again, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will, now you've got to get this, because the, the Lord just allowed this to jump off the page to me like never before. What's the first thing that's going to happen? He's going to forgive our sins. His main objective is always the spirit, man. We've got to make things right, church. Yes, we want healing to come to this land, but our hearts need to be healed. He's going to forgive the sins and then heal the land. That's what his word says. That wasn't just thrown in there. That, that order, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. See, we like to quote the scripture, but church, it's time to do it. It's time to seek the face of the Lord. It's time to humble ourselves and pray. Lord, let it start with me. And until that happens, this land's not going to be healed. That's what the Word says. 
We want this land to be healed, and ultimately it's going to be healed when he comes back. We know that. But I believe we have great days ahead of us, church. This is not the end. I don't believe that for one minute. I believe this is a time for us to say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, search me. Lord, change me. Create in me a new heart. Renew a right spirit within me. So that then healing will come to the land and we're going to see the greatest harvest we've ever seen. Souls are going to come in. I know they are. This is going to be the last, I believe, the big last wave of revival. Like the world has never seen. But we've got to get it right, church. We can't be looking to everybody else. Oh, you better get right. You better get right. Lord's coming back. Point to yourself. I, I better get right. Lord, you've taken away my job. You've taken away all of these distractions. It's just me and you, Lord. And I want to make things right. That's been weighing so heavy on my heart. And I, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that he loves us that much that he'll stop the world to get our attention. I mean, think about it like that. He will slow down our lives to give us that chance to make it right, to, to get quiet, to get along with him, to hear his voice speaking to us. Verse 13, the last verse tonight, of chapter 9 says, But I say unto you that Elijah is indeed come, and they have done unto him whatsoever they listed, as it is written of him. We know that Jesus was gloriously transfigured, right? He came to earth as a man. He didn't come, hey, look at me, I'm God. I, I can do all of these things. No, he came as man. He lived as a man for a moment he was able to reveal his true identity to Peter James and John and then poured out his precious lifeblood on Calvary's cross he did exactly what he came to do as I said in the beginning the cross was always the destination always the destination in the end, just as it said, exactly what was done to John the Baptist, who came in the spirit of Elijah, was done to Jesus. But that's not where the story ends. Because in three days, he got up. Oh, he got up so that you and I could get up, so that we could live a victorious life in Christ Jesus. I love what... Uh, the British preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones. I, I like reading behind him, and I encourage you to do so. He says, The Son of God became man, that the children of men might become children of God. He did it all for you. He did it all for me, so that we could be in right relationship with him, so that we could know him. Oh, that we could know him in the most intimate way, in the power of his might. In all of his glory, he came to reveal himself. Tonight, as we close, I'm going to ask, um, I don't know, Terrence and Noah, whoever wants to come, and just play softly. I know these times are different. Um, not having a, uh, an altar call, so to speak, but I want to encourage you 
when all of this started, I, I really felt it on my heart that the Lord's repairing the altar at the home. And I want to encourage you tonight where you are to make an altar to say, Lord, I see all that's going on in the land, Lord, and, and we need healing, Lord, but I need healing. My heart needs healing. My life needs healing, Lord. Things have been out of whack for a while now, Lord, but tonight I'm asking you to set things right, Lord. Search my heart, Lord, and know me, Lord. And he wants to do just that for you tonight. So as a family, or maybe you're alone, I don't know, but you're not alone because he's right there with you. I want to encourage you to, to make an altar, to kneel down, and just for a moment, allow him to speak to you. He's got love that he wants to pour over you. He's got conviction, healing, all of these things. But you've just got to make yourself available to him. So tonight, just for a moment, we're going to pause, and I invite you to do just that, to kneel down and offer your heart to him tonight. for once again opening your arms bidding us to come unto you Lord to cast our cares on you Lord so that you can take it Lord oh Jesus you didn't create us to carry around these weights these burdens Lord but you created us to lay it at your feet and Lord tonight each and every home Lord as they're there kneeling Lord praying one for another Lord I pray God that you touch, Lord, that you reach way down, Lord, into the depths of their hearts, Lord. Those things, Lord, that maybe they've pushed to the side time and time again, but tonight, Lord, you're bringing it to the surface, Lord. You're showing them, Lord, that you desire to take it from them, Lord. Oh, once and for all, setting them free, Lord. Giving them victory, Lord, over bondages, over addictions, Lord over wrong mindsets, whatever it may be, Lord, we know that you come, Lord, to set us free, Lord. Oh, to make us free, Lord, in whom you come to make free, to set free. We are free indeed. Lord, I thank you, God. Oh, I thank you that you're long-suffering, Lord, that you're patient, Lord. Oh, and that you never stop pursuing us, Lord. God, I pray that tonight, as the live stream ends, Lord, that you continue to flow, that you continue to pierce the hearts, Lord, 
to bring about conviction in their lives, Lord, in each and every one of our lives, Lord, ever drawing us closer to you, Lord. Make us like you tonight, Lord. We lay ourselves on your altar, Lord, and ask you to do whatever you desire, God. And we thank you for it, Lord. You are our prize. You are our desire, our goal, Lord. Lord, and I don't want anything to come between me and you. Oh, Lord, strip us, Lord, of, of distractions, Lord, of, of things, Lord, that are still in our attention, our time, Lord. God, let us focus on you and your word. And we thank you and praise you, Lord, for those that are sick and suffering, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you have mercy on them, that your healing virtue flow over them, Lord. God, that you would be with each and every first responder, every doctor, every nurse, Lord, every pastor, Lord, our president, Lord, our government, God. Continue to lead and guide and direct by your spirit of truth, Lord. Give each and every one the mind of Christ, Lord. Be a hedge of protection about them, Lord. And we'll give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. We love you guys. We're praying for you. We're here for you. If you need anything, all you've got to do is reach out and let us know. We'll meet again on Sunday morning, uh, 10.30, and then Sunday evening at 6 p.m. But in the meantime, don't let this book stay closed. But each and every day, make it a priority. Make it a core value of your life that you're going to get in his word. And you're going to allow him to speak to you because he has so much that he wants to say. We love you guys, and we'll see you soon.